So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Sacred Space in West Limit 102. My name is Jan Keeley. Thank you again for joining me this morning. And it's the 2nd of December. It's the first Sunday in Advent, and Shane is going to wish everybody... Happy New Year! Because it's the first Sunday in the... Liturgical year, liturgical yes, year. of course. And, yeah, we haven't gotten notes, people. Yes, we know it's not the 1st of January. <laughs> However, it is, the, it is the first Sunday of Advent, so it is the beginning of a new church year. So that's where we're saying it. So, in, in, indeed, welcome again, and thank you again for joining us for another program that's coming from Common Sea Studio here in Ada. Welcome again to our listeners who are housebound, lonely, maybe struggled with some health problems this morning, and of course I've come across a few of them over the last few weeks. We keep them in our prayers, good friends of the program here. Thank you again for joining us for another hour here in Sacred Space, where we hope to bring you, and we'll bring you some good news. Just remind people again, Sacred Space is broadcast here in West Limit 102 from 10am to 11am each Sunday morning, and of course at 11pm Sunday night is repeated. And a podcast of this and previous programs are available on our blog, which is www.sacredspace102.blogspot.com. That's www.sacredspace102.blogspot.com. And also available on iTunes by searching for Come and See Inspirations. You can contact us by email, and that's on sacredspace102 at gmail.com, or by text, and that's on 87 That's 87 and we look forward for you to contacting us with any queries, any good news you want to pass on to us, anything at all. So, uh, to start up the programme again as usual, Shane, you might share with us some Saints for the Week, please? Sure, John. Now, before I jump into the Saints for the Week, as we said, so it's the start of the new liturgical year, so it means we're switching Gospels. So, for those uh, that are joining us for lecture during the year, we're on the Gospel of Luke. Now, for those praying the Psalter, we're on week one, obviously enough, because it's week one of the of the church's year. Um, and also, just... Uh, to say to people that we're for those in the divine office, we switched to volume one, so it's the new volume um, from 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 today. Now, um, so the third of January, sorry, the third of December is the feast day of Saint Francis Xavier. Now, Francis Xavier is the patron saint of the missions up there with Saint Therese of Lisieux. He was a Jesuit. He was one of the first seven founding Jesuits with Ignatius of Loyola of the of the order. And he died in 1552. Now, the interesting thing about him was he was sent to India by St. Ignatius. He converted many in the city of Goa, I think that's how it's pronounced. Mm -hmm. And he later went on to Japan. And he died before he set off to the missions, to start a mission in China. Um, now, as I said, he's a patent of missions. Now, the interesting thing about poor old St. Ignatius of Loyola is there's bits of him all over the place, John. Because when the poor man died, they um, they pretty much dismembered his body for relics in e- different easy, spots. Easy. Breakfast, breakfast, <laughs> breakfast, breakfast, breakfast. <laughs> so there's parts of him in Goa, there's parts of him in Japan, and there's parts of him in Rome. But anyway, that's poor St. Francis' saviour. So then on Tuesday, the 4th of December, we have the feast day of St. John Damascene. Now, this is an interesting one. And this guy caught my attention over the last couple of years because where I was working, he was a Syrian Christian. He was a theologian and he's also a doctor of the church. Um, the reason being, he was famous for defending icons during one of the crises of heresies in the church when icons were being destroyed. He was very well educated before becoming a monk. He worked for the caliph. Uh, in what was a Muslim-controlled part of the world at the time. And um, legend has it that the, 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 the patriarch of Constantinople plotted against him and forged a letter in which John betrayed the caliph and the caliph ordered his hand be cut off, but that the virgin restored it. Uh, he was a monk near Jerusalem. 
Originally, he was uh, anatomized or cast out by the Council of Constantinople, but then he was restored by the Seventh Council of Nicaea, which restored the use of icons in the in, in the church. So he's that's who we have on the 4th of December, St. John Damascene. Then on the 5th of December, we have another interesting saint from that part of the world. It's St. Sabbath of Marsaba, otherwise known as Sabbath the Sanctified or Sabbath the Great, a saint associated with the part of the world called Cappadocia. So if you're thinking, where is Cappadocia? Cappadocia is in modern-day Turkey. And it's a, it's a beautiful, very beautiful part of the world, kind of mountainous. Um, just it's it's an extremely beautiful part of the world. But anyway, Saint Sabas was a student of Saint uh, Itimus the Great. He was an anchorist. That's someone that lives alone in a cave, devoting himself to prayer and manual labor. And what he used to do was he wove ten willow baskets each day, and then on the Saturday he would take it to the local monastery and traded for a week's food, a week's worth of willow wands to make more baskets. Um, he was a simple man with little education, um, but he he ended up leading a bunch, a group of anchorites, so these people living in caves across this part of the world. Um, there was a great story told about uh, he fled and he was supposed to have found a cave inha- inhabited by a lion. The lion moved on and uh, let him move into the cave. So, you know, it's 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 an interesting one. It's an interesting one. He died at the age of 90. Uh, he traveled, sorry, he died in 532 of natural causes. And his relics are enshrined in Venice in Italy. So that's St. Sabas of Marsaba. Um, usually, usually depicted as a, a Greek Orthodox um, monk. Uh, holding um, in a cave with a line nearby or holding the rule of his monastery. So then we have a big St. John on the 6th of December. Now, the problem is on the 6th of December, it's not such a big feast. It's not just a big saint day in Ireland, but on the continent, it's very unpopular because it is the feast day of St. Nicholas, the original Santa Claus. And it, particularly in certain countries, uh, Russia in particular, I think in Holland, uh, it's the day when actually the gifts are exchanged as opposed to the 25th of December, which we do in Ireland. Of course, St. Nicholas, very much associated, he's the 4th century Bishop of Myra in modern-day Turkey again, so that's the third saint with a Turkish connection this morning. Um, very much little is known of him in terms of facts, but the tradition has with him that he helped out a man who had three daughters and he gave a dowry for each daughter to avoid them having to go into prostitution. Mm. Um, hints which gave rise to the three golden balls John associated with pawnbrokers, yeah. which are associated yeah. with St. Yeah. Nicholas. Yeah. Um, he's the patron saint of Russia, of sailors, of pawnbrokers and of children. And he recently he was in the news because his relics were temporarily taken to Russia by the permission of Pope Francis to be venerated by the Russian Orthodox faithful. And then they made a corresponding pilgrimage back to Myra to, to, to return the relics as well. So it's just an interesting one. Then on the 7th of December um, is, first of all, it's the first Friday for those keeping up that observance. It's the feast day of St. Ambrose of Milan. Uh, so he's a particular patron of my own. Uh, St. Ambrose of Milan, governor of the Roman province whose seat was in Milan. In 374, the laity insisted on him becoming bishop, though he was not even baptised. Um, he defended orthodoxy in brilliant preaching and through his writings. He's the patron saint of Milan. He's the patron saint of beekeepers and also of domestic animals. Ambrose is also um, a doctor, another doctor of the church for his writings. And uh, and is often shown with, with um, honey because he's associated with beekeeping. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, St. Ambrose gets short shrift in terms of liturgical celebration because, of course, the 8th of December is the feast day of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. It's a solemnity in Ireland. It's a holy day of obligation. 
where we celebrate the decoration of the fa- of the dogma that we celebrate Mary, who from the first instant of her existence in the womb of her mother Anne, was by singular grace and privilege of Almighty God, um, and in uh, preserved free from all stain of original sin. So that's that's next Saturday. Um, also, for those keeping, I'm not track of it. It's also the first Saturday as well. But um, the 8th of December, of course, it's a holy day of obligation in Ireland. Just to remind people, so that means you probably have to go to mass either the Friday evening or the Saturday morning. Saturday night does not cover the obligation. No. Saturday night is for the Sunday, so don't make that mistake, <laughs> okay? Because I know some people will try and say, Ah, sure, it's all the same. No, it's not. No, it's not. So just as well then, as it's the start of the month, John, we also have the Pope's intentions, um, which is that people who are involved in the service and transmission of faith may find in their dialogue with culture a language suited to the conditions of the present time. And I'm not going to say more about that one. (laughs) Thanks so much for that. Now it's time for us now to pray a communion... Just while John is digging that one out, just to remind people, at Glenstall Abbey, each Sunday of Advent at 4.30pm, there's Advent at the Abbey focusing on the theme of tuning in to real time. This evening it's uh, Reset Your Clock uh, with Father Luke McNamara, and next Sunday it's A Prophet for Our Time with Dr. Jesse Rogers. Thanks for that, Shane. So, again, uh, the spiritual communion prayer, this is for all those who cannot receive Jesus at Mass this morning because they're sick or infirm. And this is a spiritual communion prayer that we, that we join with them each Sunday morning. My Jesus, my Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. So now we'll go for our first bit of music, just to just uh, let people know that uh, in part two this morning, we welcome onto the programme Bishop Donald McKeown from the Bishop, of, the Bishop of Derry, who's going to share some insights into the Synod of Bishops recently, recently and the young people of faith in the sermon. So join us again in part two, but in the meantime, we'll go for our first bit of music, and this one is by the Piano Boys, entitled O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So you see this.
Sacred Space. So welcome back again to the second part of Sacred Space. My name is John Keeley. Thank you again for joining me this morning and also jo- still joining me here inside the studio. I've got Shane Ambrose and a special guest joining us uh, this morning from the other end of the country, actually, Bishop Donald McKeown, who's the Bishop of Derry. Good morning to you, Bishop. How are you? Morning, John. Good morning, Shane. Good to be in touch with you. Thank you very much indeed. Bishop uh, Donald was uh, actually attended the 15th Synod of Bishops um, recently held uh, uh, with the topic Young People, Faith and Discernment. So we said we'd touch base with uh, Bishop Donald this morning, maybe to give us all a little bit of an idea as to what happened. And maybe we could set off with a very basic question, uh, Bishop Donald. What is a Synod of Bishops? Well, the Synod, as we know it nowadays in the Catholic Church, um, began after the Second Vatican Council, where all the bishops had gathered essentially for three years to look at all sorts of issues regarding the church in the modern world and so on. And following on that, um, Pope Paul VI suggested that every three years, a selection of bishops from each country, rather than all the bishops, should gather to advise the Pope of the day on a range of issues. So the first of the synods began in 1967, and as you suggest, this is the 15th of those. They happen essentially every three years. And I suppose the synodal process, it comes from two Greek words, synodos, which means a walk together. It's meant to be not just a, a group of people advising the Pope, but a, a journeying together on a particular topic seeking to discern what the Lord is saying to his people in the current situations on a particular topic. So there have been all sorts of topics down through the down through the decades. And as you say, this one was on young people, faith and vocational discernment, following immediately on the previous synod of three years ago on the theme of the family. Okay, so um, this particular synod, um, but first of all, who chose the topic and, and when was that decided? Is it the Pope well, or...? Um, my guess is that there was some decision taken even before the synod on the family that once that was looked at, then they could become and they could be, could move on to another cognate theme, namely how do we hand on faith to young people? And inevitably, um, the family came up as um, a significant issue in that context. But there is an election by those who are elect those who are sort of synodal fathers, as they call them, electing people from different continents in the world, and they set up the council of the Synod. And obviously with the Holy Father, then they pick the theme for the next one. So I've no idea what the next theme will be, but please God, it'll be in the year 2021. But sorry, if I could just jump in there, Bishop Donald, the the Synod in, in 2021, that's kind of the normal every three years, but is there a special one next year? Not On Amazonia? Not, not, well, yeah, well, yeah, they, well, this is the, 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 the range of other local synods, yes. Mm-hmm. But in terms of a synod for the whole worldwide church, mm-hmm. um, the next one will be in 2021. Ah, okay. you're, you're quite correct. There's one for yeah. Amazonia, for that particular area of Latin America coming up early next year. But those are regional ones. The, 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 the main worldwide universal general synod takes place every three years. Ah, okay. Okay, so coming back to this particular one, uh, Bishop Donald, what was, the pur- what, what was the purpose of this synod? Well, it really was to look at the whole area of young people and faith and discerning their vocation. But it would be wrong to see the Synod just as if it were an event that took place to talk to the Pope. There had really been a a whole journey building up to the Synod in the sense of uh, an early document. uh, Every bishop's conference around the world was asked to have a questionnaire filled out, have um, questionnaires among young people in their own countries. The Irish Church did that. Then that was all sent off to Rome. Then there was an experts' conference, 
I think about um, 18 months ago, and then there was a document early in 2018, there was the, the main week-long conference of young people in Rome leading up to Palm Sunday, a full week there, and then that all lent led to the, the final instrumentum report as the working document that came out after Easter. So this really has seen a, a stage in the process, trying to gather opinions, trying to gather insights, trying to have dialogue with young people to look at the main issues. And then the Senate really focused on dealing with the, the, the working document, the, the, the instrumentum laboris, to try and reach some sort of conclusions together, taking all the work that was done in advance and using the synodal process to discern God's way forward. Okay, you mentioned there about lay people, um, young people and so on and so forth, and I believe this time uh, maybe there was more involvement of lay people in this particular synod than previous synods. Would that be correct? Well, now, my experience of synods is, as you might imagine, very limited. I'm only a, a very minor bishop in the country, um, and it's, norm- it, it, it's normally two senior archbishops would be going. I happen to have been picked this time because I do a certain amount of work with young people, I think. Um, but, yes, as distinct from a synod on the Word of God or a synod on something else, okay. um, this actually had 35 fabulous young adults from all around the world who were able to make their contributions in the same way as the synodal fathers were and who made their presence very much felt if they liked someone and the comment they made there were hoots and claps and whistles and so on or a more quiet uh, response and then they they were so involved they actually put a concert on on the second last night um, in, in, the, audi- in, in, in the, the entrance to the audience hall with music and verse and so on. So it really was a, a, very, mon- a, a very animated um, month of discussions where the young people played a very positive and, and, um, and prominent role. Yeah, I, I was I've, I, I was listening to some of the reports on EWTN each evening, and certainly the young people seemed to be enthused. Enthused from this angle is that they felt that they were being heard. Yes. Maybe not mm-hmm. always. That, that that might not always be the case, but it was a chance for them maybe, and for want of a better word, on the world stage or in terms of the church, to be able to be there with the Synod Fathers and the bishops and so on and expressing their own thoughts and ideas and believing that they were being heard by the bishops and the fathers must have been a great place for young people to be. And I think there were three distinct stages to the instrumentum laboris, the working document, and to the to the essentially three and a half weeks of the Synod. The first section tried to look at the reality of the experience of life for young people, the positives and what an awful lot of young people around the world are experiencing in terms of pressures, in terms of distress, dis-ease, violence, um, uh, economic pressures, migration, war, all of those things. Then the second section really was saying, well, how, how did the scriptures teach us to deal with the reality of people? And we came across a whole range of of excellent scripture texts that were affected on the call of Samuel, the call of Jeremiah, the call of Mary. And of course, I'll speak later maybe about the, the road to Emmaus, which was the main scriptural piece for the final document. And then after having looked at the reality, looked at a scriptural sort of approach to ministering to young people, then they began to say where the key areas were, where church needs to be engaged. So it, it wasn't just talking all the time. And as well as having the general sessions where young people could contribute, there also were, um, I suppose, about 15 language groups, and four or five were English. And, of course, there was a number of young people in those who made fabulous contributions, certainly in our English group. Um, So, yes, the young people were very present, as were the other advisors of one sort or another. And so the main points, really, that came out of the final document, um, Mr. Donner? Well, 
as I say, the, the, the main scriptural piece, John, that came out of the whole thing was the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Okay. Again, taking those three sections, Jesus walks with two people who are disappointed and disillusioned. They're walking away from the community. They're walking away from where their hopes had been high. And he walks with them away from where they had hoped to find something um, and were disappointed. He listens to them. He takes them seriously. He hears what they're saying. Then so at a second stage, then he speaks into that. He says something that touches where they are, but with a, a revelation of a new way of looking at what they're experiencing and where they are. He breaks bread with them. And then the third stage is they become missionaries and go back to their own peers back in Jerusalem. So in some ways, that sense of um, a church that accompanies young people, that takes their experience seriously in order to engage with them and speak the, the word of the Lord into that and to break bread with them was important. And I think the other element that came out very strongly in the final document was the experience of synodality, of journeying together, of listening carefully to what other people were saying and then seeking to distinguish what the Lord's saying to us in the middle of that. So it wasn't just talking about young people. It was talking about a different way of being church where the emphasis was on accompanying young people on their journey, primarily helping young people to be equipped to be peer ministers to their own generation. And of course, um, it came out from, uh, as far as I'm concerned, um, that the youth who attended there, again, felt that they were listened uh, within that that context of that synodality. Um, and, and, and they spoke with great passion. I remember one young man from, from Micronesia or Polynesia, down that direction, hmm. sort of said, all these things are afflicting young people in our area. But when we are in trouble, we want to find pastors, not Pharisees. There was that level of passionate desire for the fullness of the gospel to be proclaimed, for warm-hearted ministers of the gospel to be available to them, who take their reality seriously. So they weren't saying water anything down. They were saying, be with us as pastors who can help us understand um, how to transform our disappointment into, into new hope, how we can look at cross and find resurrection lurking behind it. So I, I think that it was a passionate synod in that warm sense, where we were not just talking about young people, but with young people. And you, you've sort of mentioned there that there were people from different parts of the world. Young people from different parts of the world would have different issues and different emphasis on what's important to them. What might be important to the Western Church might be different to somebody from the African nations. Would that be right? You are right. And yet I think in, 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 in the globalised um, world, the experience of many young people where they're, they're, they're all digital natives, to use a phrase that appeared a number of times during the month. Um, in a globalised world, all of them have access to the internet. All of them are aware of what's going on around the world. All of them share in those fears of the future, of fragmentation, of excessive nationalisms, of conflict, of migration. They actually are much more united around the world than you might imagine. Though you had bishops in some countries saying, in our country, the young people are thriving in church. They're coming in their droves. There's energy about them. Uh, persecution was an experience of some other countries as well. But it was remarkable how much they shared uh, in terms of the experience of life, as well as the things that distinguished them in one country or another. And was there a letter um, written by the bishops to the youth? There, there was. That, that remains to be published. It actually was a, a, a simple letter, essentially a one-page letter, 
reaching out to young people to say not that we want to do things for you, but we want to engage with you in the reality of your joys and hopes, your disappointments and your your your, your failures, all of those things. It really was just a commitment to 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 try to ensure that national churches and per, and parish. Uh, communities engage with young people, taking them seriously, walk with them. Because unless we're making new disciples for Jesus Christ in 2008, in 2018, in 50 years' time, there'll be no disciples at all. That's right. I suppose the question would be now, what happens now, Bishop Donnell? Well, I think there are two things. One is that the tradition has been that the final document is presented to the to the Holy Father, who then would publish a document. In other words, the, the, the document from the Synod on the Family led to the papal document, um, Gaudium, the one prior to that on new evangelization led to Evangelii Gaudium and so on. So traditionally, the Pope would write a document following all the recommendations of this. But secondly, the document's clear enough itself. The whole thrust now has to be saying, well, what's the church in Ireland? or the church in Iceland, or the church in wherever else, going to do about it. Mm-hmm. And that's really back in our court, because the, 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 what happens at a synod can't change what happens in Inchicore. That's entirely up to ourselves to, to put into practice, to find ways of engaging with young people. So we actually are having, um, very early, in fact, on, 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 on Monday, we're having a, a meeting uh, with youth directors and leaders in Maynooth, Bishop Martin and myself, to reflect with them on what we heard and to say, well, how can we actually put that into practice in Ireland, facilitating training of young people? How can we engage with them? How can we walk together seeking to build disciples of Jesus in a world where there's so much distress and pain and mental illness and where we're losing far too many young people for want of a reason for living? Um, so it's, it's down to us in Ireland to do our bit. Please God, Pope Francis will write a document as well, but it's up to us to decide what we're going to do in our country. Mm. And tell me, have you got a message yourself for the youth? I mean, you, you, you just mentioned earlier on, Bishop Donald, that, that you, you spend quite a bit of time with the youth. What, what sort of message would you like to bring back from the Senate to the youth? Well, I, I was a school teacher and school principal myself over the years and have been involved in a whole range of activities. I think what I came back with was a wonderful sense of energy that there's so much goodness out there in so many young people who are dying to be taken seriously and so much pain out there in so many young people as well. But I think we we recognise there's a need for huge um, amounts of good news in what really is a very depressed, sad, fragmented Ireland nowadays. We need people who will be witnesses to good news, to the hope for resurrection. Also with a clear emphasis in terms of vocations on the need for the formation of, of a new generation of clergy who will have warm hearts to walk with young people. In other words, the the faith engages with the head, yes, in terms of orthodoxy. It also engages with the heart in terms of love of the Lord and love of people, even when they're going in the wrong direction. And it also then engages with the hands to ensure that it's a practical service-based faith that we're inviting young people to be involved in. So it's a challenge to all of us to say, how can we not make the church great again? But how can we make the church fit for mission in a world where there's so much pain and suffering? Yeah, You know, I, I was just thinking that uh, people of my own age now, um, people are grandparents and, and parents and so on and so forth. Again, you know, just thinking about the youth, we, we have our challenges in terms of trying to pass on the faith 
uh, to our youth. A- a- any little word of encouragement for ourselves? Uh, or okay. I-, I think the, the word of encouragement I have for the older generation like myself is that the world is crying out to hear good news. Let's not be ashamed of good news, but let's proclaim it as good news. Let's move beyond the, the, the notion that faith is just about keeping laws and, 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 and avoiding sin. It's actually about falling in love with Jesus Christ, falling in love with the God who loves this earth, falling in love with all those who are made in God's image and likeness. So I think it's a question of finding a language that speaks that love into a world where there's so much pain. Um, the question is, how can we be a church fit for purpose in 2018? And we need grandparents to be doing that. We need young people to be doing it. Uh, but we need to be saying there is hope, there is love, there is healing, there is forgiveness. Walk with us and we will make a better world thanks to the grace and healing of God. Lovely. Bishop Donna, thank you so much for, for sharing those words and thoughts and, and encouraging words for ourselves. And I believe you might stay with us for the Gospel, for the Gospel Reflection, please. With pleasure. In a few minutes. So just before that, we might go for a, a bit of music. And this one may be so ideal. It's by Patricia Burke, and this was in, entitled, You'll Be My Witnesses. So let's say this. Be my witness. 
Sacred Space. So welcome back again to the third part of Sacred Space. My name is John Keeley. Thank you again for staying with us. Sharon Ambrose is still with me inside studio. And Bishop Donald McKeown from, uh, from Derry is still with us, joining us on the Skyplan. So this is the most important part of the program, where we read and reflect on the Word of God. And before that, uh, Shane, you might pray this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture, please. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this Word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this Word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your Word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms to Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Shane. So the Gospel for today, of course, is for the first Sunday in Advent, and it's taken from the Gospel of Luke, and we'll invite uh, Bishop Donald McKeown to read the Gospel for us, please. Thank you, Bishop. Jesus said to his disciples, There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, on earth nations in agony, bewildered by the clamour of the ocean and its waves, people dying of fear, as they await what menaces the world, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand erect, hold your heads high, because your liberation is near at hand. Watch yourselves or your hearts will be coarsened with debauchery and drunkenness and the cares of life, and that day will be sprung on you suddenly, like a trap. For it will come down on every living person on the face of the earth. Stay awake, praying at all times for the strength to survive all that is going to happen and to stand with confidence before the Son of Man. Thank you for that, Bishop. So that's the Gospel for today and the first Sunday in Advent um, this year, New Year, of course. Shane, would you like to start off a, sh- a little reflection, please? Sure, John, no problem. So obviously, as John said, and we said at the top of the programme, today is the first Sunday of Advent, so it's the start of a new liturgical year, and we're moving into the Gospel of Luke for the coming months. And now, linking back to last week's programme, when we had Father Luke on from Glenstall Abbey, and the thing that struck me about this week's Gospel was hope. It's actually quite a stark gospel in many ways. But as Father Luke reminded us last week, the four Sundays of Advent kind of almost have the themes of hope, peace, joy and love. And when you look at this Sunday's gospel, while it can seem very dark and foreboding, it also has a message of hope for us built into it, if you like, in terms of what Luke is trying to tell us. Now, just to put it in context, the gospel section that we've read this morning is taken from the last discourse at the Last Supper. Uh, And it is presented to us in the first week of Advent, because, of course, as we were talking last week, the beginning of Advent is talking about the second coming of Christ, the the one that's to come, the Christ that will come for us at the end of times. Now, we don't know when that's going to happen. As the Gospel reminded us a couple of weeks ago, only the Father knows when that will occur. And as you work down through this Sunday's Gospel, John, there was a couple of things that struck me and as we were working through it and how much it could very much... um, 
echo people's experiences at the moment. Because as Bishop McDonald said in the second part of the programme in Ireland at the moment, things can be quite depressing at the minute in some respects, depending where you're sitting <clears throat> or what you're listening to. Sometimes you turn on Morning Ireland on the radio in the morning and it's like, oh my God, is the world, you know, is it about, you know, what's going to happen that could possibly go wrong? Because it starts off on such a, a dumb note, a b- dull note. But looking at it and working down through Luke's gospel today, you know, Jesus talking about these signs. And of course, we have to be careful when we talk about looking for signs in the world around us, because, of course, Jesus was using the language of the apocalypse, which is a particular type of literature from the from the from from the Bible. And, you know, in some ways you couldn't or you shouldn't really necessarily be constantly looking for these ti- these signs because they may or may not occur. We don't know when they're going to happen. But of course, we can see echoes of these things in the lives, in the world around us today. You know, bewildered by the clamour of the ocean and its waves. When we were reflecting this on Lexio during the week, the first thing that struck me about that very sentence was the island of um, uh, Madagascar off the coast of Africa, an island which is disappearing under the seas because of climate change where, you know, the government is actually making plans to evacuate the entire population of the country because of rising waters. You know, or that, you know, men dying of fear as they await what menaces the world. When we look at Europe at the moment, we look at the rise of nationalism and populism, where people are dying of fear of the other, where they are afraid of the community that's coming in, where they're afraid of the migrant, the person that's different to themselves, where we have the likes of Brexiteers drumming up this type of fear. You know, it's very easy to see what type of fear that Jesus was talking about, where we are dying in our humanity, where we are dying in our love of neighbour, where we are closing up our communities. And But all of us, you know, at that end of that paragraph, he says, stand erect, hold your heads high, because your liberation is near at hand when the Son of Man is coming. And I suppose the question for us this morning as we're reflecting on the scripture is, are we ready to do that? Because it is a challenge to us. It is a call, if you like, a call to arms, a call to be, I've gone back to what Bishop Donald was talking about in the second part, that idea of being missionary, you know, standing up and being courageous in, in the, you know, despite the fears of the world around us, because we are Christian, because we are waiting for Jesus to return. The second part of the, perico- the, the the gospel that struck me this morning was that sentence where, you know, be careful or your hearts will be coarsened. Mm. Now, it, Jesus talks about debauchery and drunkenness, but the word of the expression that jumped out at me during next year, during the week, was the cares of life. Because I suppose we can have a life where there is drunkenness and debauchery, <clears throat> but for many people... What wears us down and maybe what can cause us to be so depressed is the, you know, the daily struggle, the daily grind, trying to, you know, make sure the mortgage is paid, the kids go to school, the car payment is made, that there's food on the table, you know, and the cares of life that can overwhelm us. You know, we, we're, in a, we're in a situation where people are stressed, because even during the week there was a report about increased stress for people. We have increased suicide levels. People are suffocating under the cares of life. And of course, the danger of that is when we get so focused on trying to keep our heads above water, we don't make the space for Jesus. We don't make the space for God to speak into those experiences in our lives, to remind ourselves that we are not alone, that he is accompanying us on that journey. And that's the reminder that Jesus gives us, I suppose, at the end of the gospel, where he says, stay awake, praying at all times for the strength to survive all that is going to happen. And that is the reminder for us, I suppose, this Advent. And the hope that's in this Sunday's gospel is that despite the difficulties of our lives, 
you know, Christ is there for us if we make the space for him. Shane, thank you so much for that. Bishop Donald. Yeah, just a couple of things strike me, building on what Shane was saying there. I think it's useful just to think of this as as the first Sunday of the church's year. And to remember that all the stories that we'll hear during the year, right up until the Feast of Christ the King in November next year, there's a whole range of stories, but there's one story behind all of it. There's a narrative of a God who so loved and loves the world that he sent his only son to um, take away guilt, to free us and to give us a reason for believing our liberation is near at hand, give us a reason to stand with confidence before the Son of Man. And I think we do need to be people in this whole story to be looking at this as one story of the healing of the broken heart of the world and be able to speak hope into all of the fear, um, all of the worry, all of the tensions, all of the, the stresses and the cares of, of life that afflict us. So I think it's important that we as believers actually know the big story as well as little bits and pieces, little bit uh, separate episodes in that. I think the second thing about judgment, um, and I think you're right again, it's good news. Judgment is not saying you're a bad person, God is coming to get you. But judgment actually says that your life is not a joke full of sound and fury signifying nothing, Mm -hmm. as as Shakespeare said. Mm -hmm. Every step you take, every move you make is of eternal beauty and and value. We are capable of good, and, and, and in other words, our lives are precious. What we do in our lives um, w- w- will be valued at the end because we are capable of great goodness through the grace of God. And I suppose the, the second point that strikes me about that, the big story of hope that we have, is that maybe I mentioned earlier on, the whole purpose of the church is not to be strong and to be confident and to, asserting our, to be asserting ourselves in the, in the marketplace. Our purpose as church, just as, as Jesus tried to do himself, was to be able to speak into the fragility of, of human life, to build communities in a lonely world, to enable people to grow in their understanding of what they believe and be able to share it. And finally, to enable the church to be a place where, where we can have what John Paul II said was schools of prayer where people can fall in love with Jesus and be disciples, learning from him as as they walk along, even if that leads to Calvary. So I think, yes, there are wonderful phrases as, as your Lectio um, reading took out of, out of the gospel. But I think it's important for us to see it also in the big picture. Mm-hmm. We are people who are proclaiming hope, forgiveness, mercy, and Jesus is the, the face of the Father's mercy into a world which seems to be sinking, where people are dying of fear at what, uh, as they await what menaces the world. Mm. Our message is there is more grace than sin, there is more hope than despair, there is more good than bad. Mm. So I think it's, it's not meant to be, a, as you say, a gloomy gospel. It's actually saying our lives are of eternal beauty and value, and we are meant to be agents of hope by I, what we do and think and say. I think that's actually a very important point, Bishop Donald, that you, you were saying there. Because I think sometimes the question we, we don't ask ourselves often enough is, why are we here? You know, because the, I often think of that great quote from Benedict XVI, where he said, each of us is the result of a thought of God. Each of us is willed. Each of us is loved. Each of us 
us is necessary. And I think, you know, that's something as well that kept reoccurring to me. As you said, when we were, we were, we were reading on, 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 on this, this Sunday's gospel, because our lives have meaning. You know, who we are as individuals has meaning. And sometimes people kind of, not that they forget it, but it, it's almost like it's, it's, it's not important sometimes to ask the question, why, you know, why are we here as individuals? And I, I love that idea of, you know, the reminders to us that, you know, the, as you said, there's more, there's more grace than sin. That, you know, it, it's it's that's a that's a, that's a lovely expression. We, we, we are not drowning under mm. a wave of evil. Jesus has conquered the world, and in a world with so much sadness and despair and suicide and mental illness, I mean, ten thousand young people in Northern Ireland last year alone treated for serious mental illness. In that sort of world, we need to be agents of hope, and I think the gospel message is more needed than ever nowadays. As long as it's based not on people following laws, just it's more focused on falling in love with Jesus and then acting appropriately after we know the love of God. Thank you for that, uh, Bishop Donald. Um, again, whilst I was at Lectio um, during the week, as Father Frank, uh, Frank Dewick often reminds us, the Holy Spirit can speak to us in so many different ways. And maybe there were 27 of us there this week, maybe 27 different ways the Holy Spirit was speaking to us. For me, I picked up on the word again, that's been mentioned twice here by Bishop Donald and Shine. Stay awake, pray at all times. But the word praying, so they listened, uh, you know, came to my mind, and we actually brought that a little bit in the lecture. Praying isn't actually just saying prayers. But for me, I suppose, uh, praying is trying to listen to God, trying to listen through all that happens t- to me in my life. Maybe focusing the best I can on listening and reading and reflecting on the Word of God is one way. But also maybe, more, as importantly sometimes, listen to God speaking through others. Not, not an easy time sometimes. Sometimes we're asked or suggestions are made for us, or statements are made to us by our colleagues, we don't really take them on board. That might just be the Holy Spirit reminding us that we get out of our comfort zone and maybe get up and maybe do something for others. So maybe my mm. my advent, maybe to take it, my prayer this advent really should be really that, that Jesus should not just come at Christmas, but he should come into my heart and, and I should try to welcome him in as best I can in my life, whatever I'm doing in my life, whether mm. that's doing the garden or whether that's around the house or whatever it might be. That wherever I am, I realise, as Shane just touching it, why am I here? God put me here. God made me here for a reason. It was interesting, actually, just when we were we were focusing on that. Just and there was a reminder, you know, Advent is a season um, which is often overlooked. Mm. You know, we were discussing that last week. It's it's the four weeks up to, before the Christmas period, and it's it's as we, you know what I would say to people over the Advent season is if you have the opportunity, kind of to kind of. Um, make a little space for it in terms of preparation for Christmas. Because one of the things about that that line, you know, staying awake, praying at all times, praying at all times is also maybe just being aware and being conscious of what we call sometimes on the programme, those gospel moments mm-hmm. in our lives. The simple moments, you know, where there might be something uh, in the morning with the dawn after a bad night's rain or it could be the simplicity of a mother feeding her child at, you know, three o'clock in the morning. Those gospel moments, those those interruptions into our lives of the divine, you know, that we need to be conscious of and to recognise. Because as Bishop Donald said, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. It's not as if evil has conquered the world. As Christians, what we profess is that Christ has conquered death and has and that is the thing we must remind ourselves again and again and again. 
as you know, a gospel of hope. The gospel is a message of hope, and that's what we have to remind ourselves, even in the dark of the Irish winter, when the rain is beating on the doors. You know, you know, we're heading towards the Christmas season and the shortest day of the year, and then the light grows longer again. And it's all a reminder to us that you know, even in the darkest moments, you know, the light of hope. The light of Christ is there for us as a guide in our lives. And maybe this Sunday morning, as we're reflecting and, and just thinking about it, and, you know, as, and, and to our listeners, and we'll be saying, well, what can I do from this Sunday's gospel is maybe to, to pause in that, you know, and take a moment to see where is that gospel moment for me in my life? You know, to that's that prayerful moment, that encounter with the divine, where I'm open to what Christ might be saying to us this Advent season. Thanks for that, Shane. Bishop Donald, maybe just before we finish up the programme, maybe a little thought from yourself to help us work our way through Advent and looking forward to the, to the birth of Christ. And I think one of the great Catholic ways of being open to the Lord is doing it together, as you're doing yourselves through Lexio Divina. God, as you say, can speak to us through other people. They can uh, help us to have insights that we wouldn't necessarily have ourselves, that none of us is as smart as all of us. And that really is the whole theology of being part of the body of Christ. So we are invited to be springtime people, digging up the weeds, plowing uh, up the ground, throwing in the seed. We are people who are sowing for the future, even if we don't see the harvest. We sow in trust and in hope, and we do that together. And Jesus, in our midst, whose presence we, we, we look forward to, is the source of our hope and of our healing. Beautiful. Thank you so much for finishing off our, our reflection in such an encouraging way today. Today, Thank you very much indeed, Bishop Donal. Uh, Bishop Donal McKeown, of course, the Bishop of Derry, joined us today. And Bishop Donny, uh, Donald in part two there, um, gave us some sort of an insight as to what happened in the Synod of Bishops of Youth. And hopefully, my, I suppose my own thought, most of our prayers would be that, you know, that that peters down from that synod down to our diocese and down to our down to our youth in our parishes that they again might become the disciples of the Lord in the future thank you so much indeed for joining us Bishop thank you Donald. very much John thank you Shane God uh, bless you God bless you God and bless us, we might just finish off this piece of, this piece uh, this part of the programme by playing a nice bit of music that we played quite quite often in this programme and it is called oh actually we haven't played this one before Oh come divine messiah you pick this one, Shay. Well, it's an Advent piece. Advent piece. <laughs> Let's hear it. Okay.
Sacred Space.